Welcome to the Middleway Podcast. My name is Dr. Matthew Goodman. This podcast is about seeing the world through the lens of interconnectedness. It's about recognizing our common humanity and discovering pragmatic solutions to improve well being from the individual to the collective. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to the Middle Way. In this episode, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit and share an interview that I did with my friend Rachel Bonetti on her podcast, What It Means to Be Well. This was back in February of this year, 2023. Some of you might remember Rachel on the episode we did for this podcast called Talking Burnout and Taking Care, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes. Rachel is the founder of the Elite EA Academy for Executive Assistants. She's a corporate trainer and a consultant. And if her lovely Australian accent isn't enough by itself to entice you into this episode, which I think for me it would be, we also get into some very important topics here, namely how to have conscious conversations. Okay, what does this mean, having conscious conversations? To me, conscious conversations means that we talk to people in a way that strengthens our relationships versus divides us, creates more mutual understanding, and leads to some sort of effective behavior change or solutions, depending on whatever it is our mutual goals are within the conversation. And for me, one of the most important pieces of conscious communication is the power of listening, deep listening practices. And needless to say that at this moment in time in our society and culture across the world, we really, really need to listen to one another, even when we strongly, strongly disagree. And that by itself is no means a solution for larger issues that are happening in the world today. But I do believe that productive solutions that serve humankind and our collective evolution start with something like that, start with something like listening and understanding and related skills, finding our common humanity and creating enough space just to show up and bear witness to someone else again, even when we strongly disagree. We have to find some threads of connection and some threads of mutual understanding and empathy. Anyways, we don't go that deep in this episode, but we do talk about having difficult conversations in our personal life with people at work, with our partners, with our friends, so hopefully you pick up something here that can be pragmatically applicable to the relationships that you have in your own life. If you have any comments or questions or ideas for future topics or guests, or just want to say hello, send me a message. I would love to talk with you. And if you're looking for someone in your organization to facilitate some work around having conscious conversations resolving conflict, team building, workplace wellness, you can also drop a line to me at hello at the-middle-way.com or visit my website, the-middle-way.com, or you can connect with Rachel and I've linked to her work in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening 
and I say this with all sincerity, please take care of yourself. Be selfish and take care of yourself. Much love and wishing peace for all of us. Welcome to the What It Means To Be Well podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Benetti. This is the space where we get into all aspects of well-being and the conversations we need to have to help us thrive and show up as our best selves at work and in life. If you want to hear from inspiring people who do things differently, you're in the right place. Renegades, rebels, change makers, and thought leaders. People who will open our hearts and our minds to what's possible when we dare to challenge the status quo. So settle in and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Matthew Goodman. He's a licensed clinical psychologist, coach, consultant, and speaker. He's a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at the behavioral sciences at the University of Southern California, Los Angeles, and provides coaching and consulting through the Middle Way and Conscious Consulting Group, a global think tank and consulting agency. Dr. Goodman blends neuroscience, behavioral science, systems thinking, and spirituality to support individuals and organizations in reaching their full potential. He's the author of Simple Stress Reduction, Easy and Effective Practices for Kids, Teens, and Adults, and hosts the Middle Way podcast. So clearly a multi-passionate and talented human. We met in the podcasting space. I was a guest on his show, The Middle Way. I'll link that episode in the show notes so you can listen to that if you like as well. And he's just someone that I liked immediately. You know when you meet someone and you know straight away or pretty quickly that they're your kind of human. Matt is one of those people. And I really wanted Matt to be on this show because I love the work he does in that it contributes to making the world we live in a better place. We need more people doing great things like this. He has such great energy and warmth and a really beautiful way of being able to hold space for others. He's a great example of how to show up at work and in life in a way that allows others to truly feel seen and heard. And we're going to talk about that quite a lot today. His work is around conscious communication and conscious leadership and the positive shift that can occur within our relationships when we begin to take a conscious approach to the way we interact with others. So I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Matt. Let's get stuck into it. Welcome, Matt. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Um, it's one of my favorite things to be able to do on this podcast, talking to people who are contributing in some way to make the world a better place. Thank you so much for being here. Rachel, thank you for having me. We were chatting a little bit before we hit record and I was talking about some curiosities I have around your purpose and your mission. And I love exploring this and hearing how people come to be where they are in their life and their work. And the mission that you share on your website is being focused on helping people and the planet reach their higher potential and to help human beings realize our interconnectedness. I'd love to know what led you to this as your purpose. Was it always a theme in your life? How did you come to be where you are now? It's a great question, Rachel. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I've gotten that question before. So thank you so much for the thoughtful question. 
Yeah. My mission being to help people see your interconnectedness, that's something that has really just been, I think, embedded within the fabric, the fiber of my being for a very long time. And I know it's kind of a cliche to say, but even like as a kid, I would just look around and look across the world and really think about like how really we're all the same underneath our skin, underneath all of our differences. And just have this sort of sense of like, okay, there's got to be like something that connects us, a sense of love or unity or something like that. So there was always something intuitive that led me in that direction. As I've grown into my career and started focusing my work, that theme has sort of continued, especially looking in the realm of our kind of social and political society. It really comes up for me and it's a strong passion of mine is recognizing the common humanity and people that are different from us, people that are across the political aisle, people who live in a different part of the world from us, who we see as our enemies. I still just can't help but to look across the world at these wars that we're fighting. And even though the other people are supposed to be the bad guy and they did this and they did that, I just can't help but still feel that sense of like, yeah, there's a human being there behind that. There's a human being who's suffering. We've all had trauma in our life and, and reasons why we act the way that we do. And so that's really sort of what's behind and what motivates me in a lot of the work that I do and just general outlook and being in the world. I love that. I had so many thought bubbles while you were speaking. They're just firing off in all directions. So that kind of view, because you, in addition to being a clinical psychologist, you have quite a lot of creative endeavors. And I think that you know, that's a common theme for a lot of people who are inherently creative is that recognition and that thread of humanity and that what connects us. Doesn't surprise me hearing you hearing you say that, <laughs> understanding now why you have the creative endeavors you do. When we're talking about interconnectedness, something else that just came to my mind was, you know, we've never been more connected than we are now with technology and the pace of the world is so furious. The work that you do around conscious communication and teaching people to or guiding people to communicate in a more conscious, intentional way, why do you think it's really needed at the moment in this world where we are so connected, but at the same time disconnected? I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think a couple things come up around that. I think one, to your point, we are more interconnected than ever. It's true. Technology is you know, connecting us. But at the same time, there's obviously more disconnection, more isolation, more loneliness. And technology, in a way, has really highlighted our sense of disconnection from one another. This is kind of where conscious communication and conscious leadership comes up for me, is I think we're starting to actually recognize you know, that sense of disconnection that has been present for us even before you know, the internet and is what I think of kind of an old model of operating in the world, the sense of feeling isolated from one another, sense of disconnection. And from a leadership and communication standpoint, leading from that standpoint, that perspective of like disconnection and fear and separation. And when I think about conscious communication and conscious leadership, I think about leading and communicating from a place of understanding our interconnectivity, our interdependence with one another, motivating from a place of love versus fear and leading from a place of being in service to that greater whole versus in service to something more separate or individual and cut off from everything else in the world. And that's sort of how I think about maybe this shift that we're undergoing now. And, and maybe we're being called into that through this highlighting of our disconnection that we're all 
very much feeling right now. Yes. That disconnection, it's funny because it plays out in so many ways on a day-to-day level that we're just kind of normalized. I know that when I had my corporate career, a lot of the communication was so transactional. A lot of the time people would, you know, not even be using manners anymore. Like, you know, manners to me, it's, you know, more than etiquette. It's like recognizing someone as a human being and being grateful for their support or their help or, you know, not having expectations. You know, can you get me without a a please or a thank you? (laughs) Day to day, what might, for anyone who's not familiar with this concept, what might conscious communication look like? in life or in workplace? A great starting point is, you know, having conversations in person if possible, but even having conversations virtually and really just like you said, like connecting on a human level first, using to our advantage the technology that we have around video versus just through email or text, because I think a lot gets lost there. Um, And it's really hard to communicate sometimes your intentions or tonality through those means. But starting off with that human connection, building rapport with people, building a relationship, especially if you're going to have a difficult conversation, it's important first to connect on a human level to find some commonalities between you and to also have like a shared goal of the conversation. So like, what are you trying to achieve within this conversation? What's the goal that we have? And as long as we know that we have the same goal, in our conversation, then it makes it a whole lot easier to have disagreements with people. So I think that's sort of like a good framework to start from just connecting on a human level, what's our goal. And then the conscious communication piece also involves being able to really, really listen deeply to people. And, you know, not only listening and understanding, but to use these really nice, helpful skills of being able to reflect back what we're hearing to people listening for people's emotion and reflecting that back to people so that Rachel, if you and I were having this conversation, like I want you to feel heard. I want to make sure that you feel like I'm fully hearing and fully understanding you because if that's lost, then it's going to be hard for us to really go anywhere together. So, and that goes on both sides of it. So there are some ways and some little tweaks that we can make in conversations to make sure that that connection is being made and and it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities for where that conversation can go. That piece about being seen and heard, so important. And, you know, back to the points that you made in the beginning, I think so often it's not the case, can drift through life, not being seen and heard in our conversations, especially at work. And listening, I know this from my career, is such an underrated skill and the power of silence and just being able to sit in a moment and even give someone room to process what's being said rather than hurrying to fill every silence. I'm thinking of someone in particular when I ask you this question, and it's my partner, (laughs) who is amazing. He's a bit of a a rescuer, and I don't very often need rescuing. So if I'm saying to him, oh, these things happen. It's like, right, you need to do boom, boom, boom. Like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. How how would you, and this happens a lot in the workplace. So that's why I'm giving you the example. I'm not bashing poor Rob. When you're working with people who just want to, you know, go straight into solution mode, what advice would you give for people like that? So they can truly hold space for people hear them out and understand whether they are just trying to get something off their chest or whether they're looking for <laughs> you to jump in and provide support. and, advice, and- Yeah, such a good topic. It's such a good question that you bring up. And I think that we all really experience that from both ends. Even as coming into a conversation with the intention to listen, we can notice 
that instinct or that pull to want to fix, to want to give advice. You know, I would say even when people are like looking for advice or looking for something to be fixed, it's always helpful to at least just start with creating that space of, of listening, you know, allowing that person to really express what they're feeling and to make sure that we understand first before we go into fixing mode. These are just instinctual things that are hardwired within us. We want to fix situations. Um, we want to control situations. We want to help people. I think it comes from a really good place. But I would say at least 80% of the time, even in the work setting, people are going to appear or going to a manager or a supervisor more so to be heard than to have the problem fixed and at least to be heard first. And if we can really, really just sit with that first and make sure that we're on the same page, understand what that person's feeling and what their experience is really on a deep level, then actually the person who is you know, having that difficulty, they're going to be much more open to whatever advice you have around fixing it. Then if we just start off with like, here's exactly what you need to do, because once people come in with that, we just we shut down. It's like, no, you're not understanding me. You don't get my experience. Like, I'm not ready to do that. That can be in there. But let's pump the brakes first and just make sure that we're really being patient with the process. I guess that starts with self-awareness, you know, having an awareness that you have these particular qualities that aren't <laughs> probably aren't the basis of conscious communication. What ways might people be able to work on developing their self-awareness around how they're, how they're coming across and how people are experiencing them in the way they communicate? I think that's actually a great starting place is to start practicing this skill of listening and at least to start noticing in conversation that instinct to want to jump in and to either share advice or offer your point of view or even just to come up with any response at all. I think when we're in conversation, this is what I try to practice and what I always recommend to people. See if you can really just be present with what the person is saying and notice the tendency to want to plan whatever it is that we're going to say next. The planning is often, this is some way of wanting to control the conversation and where it goes and making sure that we have our viewpoint in there. And that's fine. You know, we don't have to have any judgment around that. This is just a human thing that we do. But that would be a really good starting place is just to be aware of those instincts that come up within us. And then when we're aware of that, seeing if we can practice letting go, coming back to being present in the conversation um, and just being with where we are in that particular moment. Because you can really see it in someone's face, can't you, when their mental gears are grinding and you can tell they're waiting for that moment where they can just leap in. You know you've lost them when you can see that happening already. All great leaders that I've worked with have been exceptional listeners and being able to hold space for others. And I guess, you know, they might not even realize they're conscious leaders in the way they're coming through. But what are the traits of conscious leaders? First is, is taking radical responsibility, and that might be a fun one to dive into together. But I also think about the traits of you know, authenticity and honesty, being able to, as we said, have some sense of emotional intelligence, being able to understand emotion, reflect back emotion. I also think about like thinking in bigger picture terms, thinking is in terms of systems and how things are interconnected within you know, the organization or within the teams that you're working within versus just looking at an individual level. Thinking about the long-term view of things, 
in the sustainable view of things versus just focusing on short-term impact or outcomes or immediate you know, gratification. And I think another big piece of it too is like trust and supporting people's autonomy. People want to feel from their leaders a sense of trust. And there's some good research that shows that in companies where there's a high sense of trust, people report being less stressed out, they report less burnout, they report more engagement and motivation and a greater sense of well-being. So that's a big piece of it. And I know it's hard to sometimes let go and just to like trust people, but that's what keeps people going when there's some sort of intrinsic or internal motivation to achieve or produce versus coming from the outside, coming from the top down from a place of, again, fear, right? Like I'm going to do this because I fear that if I don't, I'll be punished or I'll be ridiculed or embarrassed or I'll lose my job or something versus I'm actually motivated from the inside out because this job is really important to me. It's meaningful. I'm making an impact. I love my team. That's a totally different model of working. Yeah, it really is. And it's fascinating because I think we were thrust into, well, not I think we were thrust into this world of remote working where there was no choice but to give people autonomy and trust that they're going to get on with it or hope that they were in, the, in, in a lot of instances. I can see, you know, return to work is in, in the office is being mandated a lot, certainly here in Australia. And there's a real, there's a real pushback with that because there is that sense of losing autonomy and like, why do I have to be right under your nose? If the outcomes are the same, what difference does it make where I'm producing the work from? So I think we're going through a really interesting recalibration around that too. I think so as well. And I think they're, you know, we're trying to find some balance and there's definitely a tension that's happening right now, almost like a power struggle that's happening between, you know, like employees on the one hand and leaders or the executives of organizations. And on both sides, I can see very valid arguments for being in person, just as I can see valid arguments for working at home. And, you know, is it possible somehow to bring the skills of conscious communication to these larger conversations? Like, okay, what are our shared goals here? Our shared goals are around whatever it is, productivity or whatever the company's goals are. And can we have some sort of conscious communication or negotiation around that and figuring out together how to best meet those goals? And then we can find the solution. So if we're open and honest about that, it's much easier to then... And if people feel like they're being listened and heard, then it's much easier, for example, to come back to work when I feel like, okay, like they understand my experience or vice versa. I love that because that's actually something that can be self-led with employees as well. You can lead those conversations with leaders if they're not already leading consciously themselves. So you can, you can work it in reverse, can't you? I wanted, what did you say? Radical responsibility. I'm into it. <laughs> Tell me more <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, this this is an area that I just find so, so fascinating and just and so much depth here. Um, and really, I'm pulling from the work of others when I talk about this. There's a great book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. They talk about this model of leadership and this different ways of being in the world. And their work is rooted in Michael Bernard Beckwith. So I just want to make sure that I'm recognizing sort of the people who are really deeply immersed in this model. But they talk about four different ways of leading or four different ways of being in the world. And this all revolves around how much responsibility we take for ourselves. The first way, and I'll go through each of these, is to me. The world is happening to me. The second way is by me. The world is happening by me. The third way is through me. And then the fourth way is as me. And I can break each of these down a little bit. 
So to me, this is the sense that things are happening to me. I am basically the victim of my circumstances. Things that happen are someone else's fault or it's the universe's fault. The universe is conspiring against me. This gives me the sense that I'm not in control. I don't have any personal empowerment. And again, the constant sense of like, why me? That's very stressful. It's natural for us to live in that mindset. And I think most of us do live in that mindset. And and I think we fluctuate in and out of these different stages. And so this is something that we could be in sometimes and not other times. But I know all of us, including myself, are very familiar with. You know, probably I probably walk around with this type of consciousness going on all the time. That's to me. The next one is by me. And this is the sense of I'm playing a role in things happening. It's taking some ownership or responsibility for the things that happen in my life. And this gives us a sense of personal empowerment and responsibility that we're actually involved in this process. And we take responsibility for the problems and the situations that come up for us. You know, of course, there are things that happen to us that are caused by like people around us or things that we can't control. But even in those circumstances, I think we can, A, we can acknowledge if we are playing some role in that dynamic, like how did I play a role in this? And or B, we do have some control over the way we respond to these things. So even if we are completely at the mercy of external situations, we can't control that, but we can control our response to those things. We can control how we react to it. And that still gives us a sense of personal empowerment there. So that's the second way. And then the third sort of way of being or way that we can lead is the through me approach. This is the sense that the world is happening through me. Things are happening in my life because there are opportunities for me to learn from them and to grow from them. And that I'm actually creating these. So this gets a little maybe too woo or mystical for some people, not for me personally, but for some people. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Okay. But the sense that like we're co-creating the world and, and we can even think about this just on an unconscious level, like I'm creating problems for myself so that I can, you know, become more conscious and learn from them. Or the sense that there's, you know, some sort of higher self there that is bringing me difficulties. So every challenge that we experience is actually a gift. It's actually an opportunity for us to learn. Really a different way of experiencing the world because even though we can experience difficulty, there's not the same kind of context. There's not the same stress around that. We know that we are experiencing this for our own personal growth. And that gives us a sense of kind of resiliency and determination around that. And then finally, the as me approach, this is, I think, a state or a framework that we might every so often or rarely come across, or maybe there are some rare human beings who get to experience this wonderful state, but it's a state of being connected or at one with everything. And in this state, the way that it's described is like, there are no problems, like everything is just happening. Everything is just one. And uh, you feel kind of united with, with everything. There's not a separation. There's sort of this non-duality between me and the you know, problems that I'm experiencing. Wouldn't that be a nice place to be in all the time? <laughs> <laughs> right. Which I think is like possible, but uh, yeah, I mean, in truth and reality. <laughs> no, I recognize myself in all four <laughs> that you were talking about. I'll never forget. I was at work one day, long time ago. And I said to someone, I can't believe this happened to me. And they said, why not you? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Why not me? <laughs> My poor old ego was just <laughs> out of control. But when you were talking about the um, through me, that's a little bit like karma, isn't it? Like our karmic 
destiny, the lessons we're meant to learn so that we can move forward. (laughs) It seems like that. And if we think about it from that view, we can really feel like the world or the universe is benevolent in a way. Like we're experiencing the karma. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it causes pain and suffering and a whole mix of negative emotions and problems in our life. The bigger context around that is that it's actually working for us. That is in service of our own personal growth, our own personal evolution. Yeah, I don't know if it's because my algorithms (laughs) are showing me, (laughs) reflecting myself back (laughs) at me, but it's all of the content that I've been seeing. It feels like there is an awakening around that to me. But then again, I don't know if it's just because Instagram and everything else is (laughs) noticing (laughs) what I'm looking at and offering more up. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and and maybe a little bit of both, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a little bit of magic happening there. And at the same time, taking what we want, like from the content that we see. And and that's, I think, certainly something interesting to think about as well. Like the way that we're perceiving the world, we're sort of seeing the things that we need to see at any given moment, because somewhere deep in our psyche, we know that like, this is what I need at this particular moment in life. And the mind is like, hey, focus on that or interpret it in that way. I love that. That's so good. Um, It's a really beautiful perspective. The other part that I wondered if we could chat about is around the honesty and authenticity. And I know that in the context of showing up that way at work, I wonder what, in your view, what are the things that might hold people from feeling like they can show up as their full selves at work? I think it comes down, you know, at the root of it to fear, to a sense of self-protection, or you might say ego around that. It has a certain connotation. I don't mean to say ego in like a negative judgmental way, but it's this is the way that we live in the world. We live in a sense of a separate self. We want to protect that sense of separate self. And so of course, when we're at work, you know, we might find ourselves not feeling authentic or honest because we want to have some control over the way that other people see us. We want to have control over our performance at work, how things go. Like it comes from a sense of fear, but it's coming from a good place because we care about ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. We want to see ourselves succeed and do well. That's super important to acknowledge, you know, is that like all of these things are coming from a really well-intentioned place. It's interesting because what I noticed in my career is that the most beloved leaders, the leaders who were able to bring people on a journey and had the qualities that people would aspire to are the ones who weren't afraid to be vulnerable and go first with sharing um, how they might be feeling if they were, you know, disappointed or anything at all, um, their own vulnerabilities. When we do start to show up in that way, when we are courageous and feel safe to do so, it gives other people permission to do the same. I don't know. It's like someone has to go first. (laughs) It's like a domino. I agree. There's something so like, just so um, endearing about that and admirable when people are honest and authentic and vulnerable. And it creates a sense of trust. Like I think I'm just, you know, people really, you trust that person. You want to be around that person. And um, yeah, you're, you're more comfortable listening to that person because you know it's coming from an authentic place. That's a wonderful example there of like sharing first um, or being vulnerable in front of people. I mean, what a scary thing to do as a leader, but truly, truly effective if we can do that, if we can really create that, that sense of connection and common humanity between ourselves and other people. And that's what really, I think, bonds us together. And, and that can be a more effective way of then 
leading and, and taking people in the direction that you guys are going. Yeah. I think that was possibly one of the silver linings of the pandemic, having everybody go through the same experience at the same time. I certainly felt like conversations were more honest and people felt safer to be more vulnerable. So I really hope that's not something that falls away as we move into whatever this normal is now and we get back onto the business as usual, (laughs) life as normal train. I hope so as well. I hope so as well. It is one of those silver linings that perhaps came out of of the pandemic and um, hopefully something that will stick around because I certainly agree with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your conscious communication program that's coming up? Because I think that is so interesting and so needed. In my career, I've sat around so many boardroom tables and been the fly on the wall with a lot of conversations and important discussions. And, you know, there are certainly moments that I saw where there was a lot of room for improvement. So I'm really excited that (laughs) there is an offering like this available to people who want to explore this a bit deeper. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Of course. So it's called Leading Conscious Conversations. It's a program for leaders. And the program came out of just noticing what's happening right now in the world and with organizations, as far as a lot of us experiencing burnout, organizations having a sense of lower engagement, low motivation, feeling disconnected. And when we think about how to shift these experiences or even these outcomes, if we're thinking about like, you know, productivity, it really comes down to behavior change. Like how do we change people's behavior in the workplace? And that in part comes from leadership. And so the question of how to change people's behaviors is something that I have been thinking about and practicing for a long time as a psychologist. And I've really had to learn this the difficult way that the best way to change someone's behavior is to do exactly what we've been talking about during this conversation. It's to show up and listen to them, to have empathy, to be able to use these skills of reflecting back and getting on the same page of supporting people's autonomy and creating a sense of trust and allowing them to pursue things that feel meaningful to them and and just being sort of a guide along that way you know, motivating from this place of love versus a place of fear. So we created this program with myself and my colleagues at Conscious Consulting Group. And I think of it really as like a laboratory for people to come and just to practice these skills together. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about like the science behind it and the research behind it, but it's highly experiential. So we get into, you know, a room together, we get into pairs or in a group and we can practice It's a really difficult skill of just being able to be present and listen and curious in a safe place. So this is safe enough for us to be able to let go of the need to plan or say what we want to do next. So we can really work these different muscles of consciousness and then hopefully then take these skills and then implement them in the conversations that you have in the workplace, whether it's one-on-one with employees or even using these same principles on a larger scale to communicate. Like, how do we communicate in a way that builds trust and that can support behavior change versus communication that actually creates more resistance and makes people shut down and do the opposite of what we want them to do? And there's just some subtle but really powerful ways that we can shift that to then support behavior change in the workplace and hopefully help to change the systems that people work within. That sounds amazing. I was thinking as you were speaking, like it sounds just like life skills we all need as well. Like forget about the workplace, like just helpful life skills. 
having those conversations with your partner. These are all skills that we can benefit from using in the relationships that we have in everyday life. I mean, again, for me, like something that is really practiced on a daily basis, really being able to listen, not just in the work that I do, but with other people. It's a hard thing. It's a hard process, but it's such a beautiful thing. And there are so many gifts there when we can truly just be present with people. I've found that like just the most amazing stuff comes out of those interactions. Yes. And I wish that I had learned that skill far sooner than I did. It definitely makes all the difference. I don't know. I could talk to you all day. (laughs) So interesting. All of the spaces that you work in. Is there anything we haven't covered about conscious leadership, conscious communication, shooting the breeze about (laughs) the world at large that you want to go into any further? Oh, let's see. Um, I don't think so, Rachel. I mean, I guess I'll just say too that part of the work that I offer around this is around doing improv. And I say that because, you know, people are thinking about alternative ways to practice the skill of being present, of showing up, of like not knowing and being able to relate to people. This is something that I started doing a number of years ago. It's been such a helpful thing for me. So go and seek out an improv class. And I will be offering pretty soon a improv course, basically, that is specifically designed to train that improv brain, that improv muscle of being able to be fully present and to listen to people and to uh, have these skills of curiosity and kindness and self-compassion. Something else that I'm, I'm very excited about kind of weaving into the work that we've already been talking about. That's really cool. And I think, you know, in part, that's probably because of our attention span is just being diminished by the way we live with the technology and, you know, picking up our phone and scrolling to fill every empty moment. If someone's not familiar with improv, what is improv? What would an improv class look like? Every improv class would be a little bit different. Typically, there's some mix of like playing improvisation games and doing scene work. All of that, whether you're doing games or creating scenes, it's all happening on the spot. It's all happening in real time. And so if you're someone like me who really wants to plan ahead, what's going to happen, like what you want to say in the next moment and how things are going to go, improv really forces you to confront having to let go of that because what you say in a scene, for example, like is going to depend on what the person next to you says just prior to that. If you try to plan too much like what's going to happen, it's not going to land or you're not going to hear if my partner said like, hey, dad, I'm really looking forward to going to the beach with you today. And then I said like, yeah, like I always love going to the beach with my grandpa or something like that. Like that wouldn't work, right? So I have to... The concept in improv is yes and. So you listen to what was said and then you yes and that you build on that experience. And so it always requires us to sort of let go and just be fresh in the moment and just build on what's happening piece by piece. That sounds really fun. I can see that as a really great team building experience as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's some great work being done with some of my colleagues out there that are bringing improv into the workplace and can be awesome. And and one of the things that it can offer in the workplace is helping to develop a sense of psychological safety for people. As you do these improv exercises and you say silly things and mess up, you have the experience of people around you like enjoying that and celebrating that and having fun with it. And I think that can really translate into the real world setting where you're in a group, for example, and you're coming up with ideas like about your product or your service and not being afraid to just speak your mind and say what's there, not being afraid to look silly or stupid or anything like that. 
that's where creativity comes from. If we can remove that part of our brain that really censors ourselves, then so many wonderful gifts can come out of that. Beautiful. I'm going to keep my eyes out for that offering when it's ready and I'll share it because I think a lot of people will be interested in that. Sounds like a lot of fun. And Rachel, I was curious from you, like in your experience, you know, we've been talking about conscious leadership and workplace stress. And I know you work a lot with executive assistants. And I'm curious, like in that role, what are the biggest needs or what does communication look like? And how do you think communication might be able to be improved to help people feel less stressed and less burnt out? And when we talk about autonomy, I mean, imagine this is really hard in that role because like you're always being told like what needs to be done. It's not like you show up and you have your own agenda. It's like you have someone else's agenda. So like, what are some areas where like that could be improved kind of in that field? Well, you nailed it. It's not just someone else's agenda. It's actually everybody else's agenda as well, which makes it doubly hard. There's this constant tension between, and you're also really judged on how you show up. So it's in job descriptions, right? That you must be resilient under pressure. You have to be composed. You have to be able to cope with ambiguity. You know, all of the things that suggest you must be superhuman. So when you're being bombarded with all these different communications and stakeholders and needs and requests, it's very hard to balance being efficient but still staying warm and not so far in the transactional space that people aren't warm to you and you can't have a rapport so that you can minimize any noise before, you know, when problems are coming to you, fix them before they bubble up into really big issues. It's tricky because there's also this sense in the administration community that people don't value or respect the roles and they don't want to hear from them. So there's this constant need to be proving yourself or showing up in a particular way and being met with resistance. So it's a really peculiar and unique role in the corporate world. However, one of the things that a lot of high-performing and great executive assistants can do artfully is lead others to communicate more consciously. So there've been many a times in my career where I've had to shut the door, the office door with a very senior executive and say, you can't speak to people like that out in an open plan. Or the way you spoke to that person in that meeting didn't land well, go and check in with them. So it's Mm. usually like behind the scenes communication that happens that's the most impactful, I think. I don't know if that answered your question because it's it's just such a weird (laughs) profession. (laughs) Is that ability to like give someone feedback like that in real time? Do you think that's because like there is such a strong, usually like there is a a sense of trust there and a really strong relationship there that you're able to offer that type of feedback about how someone else is communicating to employees, for example? I think so. I think you nailed it. And in that kind of role, you're directly responsible for supporting the success of someone else. So they know what your intention is when you come in every day. They know that you're their safety net, that safe pair of hands. You've got their back. So if you do choose a moment to stand up to them and challenge, it's usually in their best interests or the greater good of the organization. I will say though, that every single time that I did that, it wasn't appreciated in the moment. They'd always come back to me later and say, I thought about what you said. Thank you. Or or they wouldn't even say, thank you. They'd say, can you put 10 minutes in the diary so I can talk to whatever it was without acknowledging (laughs) that they'd they'd stuffed up. What a kind of unique and cool role that executive assistants can play in that sense. Like you're almost like able to see things that maybe your boss can't necessarily see and also in a position to be able to help be like a self-correction mechanism. And and in that way, 
can play a really helpful role in the organization. If you're shaping the communication of like, of how, you know, employees are being communicated to, that's a pretty cool and important role. Yeah, I do really see those roles as cultural beacons, like the canaries Mm. in the coal mine who very often can send up the alarm when engagement is starting to drop before attrition becomes, you know, an issue. I even had a lot of executives who invite me into meetings for the purpose of watching the room. Like, obviously, I wouldn't be sitting there staring. I'd be (laughs) looking, (laughs) taking notes and surreptitiously looking around, but they'd know that I would see the things that they couldn't when they were engrossed in the meeting. So if it was a, a difficult message they had to share or the company was going through an awkward time, I'd be quite often sitting there just noticing body language or little minute <laughs> changes to facial expressions and you know, reporting back. <laughs> not in a weird way, but like, oh, I'm not sure about how that team felt when you were talking about whatever that was. And now I'll be, I'll be super vigilant now when there's EAs in the room, like they're, Rachel said they're watching. <laughs> the radar is always yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. No, it's 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 wonderful. And I, I so appreciate the work that you do in supporting people in, in those roles. I've loved our conversation today. I know you're a multi-passionate human. You've got so many things going on in your world. So thank you for making the time to have a chat to my audience. I know they'll really enjoy hearing your perspective and your insights and your wisdom. So thank you for your energy. How can people find you? I've linked to everything in the show notes, but what are the ways that people can look you up and find ways to work with you? Uh, So you can visit my website. My personal website is matthewgoodmanphd.com. You can also check out Conscious Consulting Group where we're offering the Leading Conscious Conversations program. And that is ccg-group.eu. And then you can find me on Instagram. It's at matthewgoodmanphd. Thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. Great way to spend my Tuesday morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and it gave you some great tips to be able to lean into the conscious communication space yourself or perhaps lead some others into more conscious interactions with each other so that we all feel valued, seen and heard and get the best from each other at work and in life. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you'd share it with someone else whose jam this might be so you can get these conversations into the ears of as many people as possible. If you feel called to, please follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for being here. As always, I love hearing from my community. Get in touch anytime you can find how to reach me in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Middle Way. If you find this content valuable and want to support the podcast, leaving a rating, review, or sharing the episode is hugely helpful and appreciated and helps the podcast get discovered by more people. If you have any questions, ideas, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please send an email to hello at the-middle-way.com. See you soon. Thank you.